sure many of you have read a lot about over the years, said something interesting, said an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Retribution, revenge is always a bad idea. It seems like some people are wired for war. They are born with a, a war gene, if you will. Just, just want to fight, just want to brawl, just embrace conflict, contentiousness, rivalries. Um, a lot of examples of that. Some are rather odd. I read about one particular dad who stabbed his 19-year-old teenage son with a corkscrew after they got into an argument about a clogged-up toilet. Heard about this girlfriend gone wild, literally. She and her boyfriend got into a horrific argument, and he loved goldfish. He had four of them. She stole all four of them. By the time the police arrived, she had fried three of them and eaten them. That's quite the war they had. In our Bible, you are familiar with some rather ridiculous brawls that had some devastating consequences. We could cite many examples, but, but one that comes to mind is the first one, really, in our Bible. Two brothers. Basically, I mean, I'm simplifying it, but they have an argument about vegetables. And because of that, one boy is killed and the other a murderer. When you also proceed through the Old Testament, you read about two women who have this tremendous argument over a baby. They have a division over a baby, and because of that, the baby is literally almost divided. When you come over into the New Testament, the arguments, the contentions, they do continue. In fact, some of the strongest in the church got embroiled in a controversy. Two very prominent preachers, Paul, Barnabas, doing great work for the Lord. They, they got upset with each other about a young preacher by the name of, of John Mark. And, and, and to, to kind of calm down a few, they had to separate each of them from the other for a time. I was a young preacher years ago and uh, was sitting in the emergency waiting room down at a hospital in Mobile called uh, USA Medical Center, University of South Alabama Medical Center. And I was sitting with a church family waiting on one of their uh, loved ones to receive some treatment. Pretty serious circumstance going on there. But I was sitting next to a family that was dealing with a much more substantial crisis. There was this very large lady who was shaking, sobbing oftentimes uncontrollably. And she was a loud, boisterous kind of woman. And she was... In the midst of having conversations with the people around her, she was talking to God on behalf of her baby. I could gather from her talk and her praying and her sobbing that she had a, a baby that was in surgery. 
And this baby was, was in, in a life and death struggle. And from time to time, someone would come out from, from surgery and give her an update. And, and the news was, was not very good, it seemed to me, and was maybe even getting worse. And ultimately, the, the news was delivered to her, and not in a private setting, but there in the, in the wide open chaos of the emergency room waiting area. Uh, your, your child. I, I remember the doctor coming out saying, we, we did the best we could, but, but your son didn't make it. Oh, she was understandably so, so upset. She was, she was crying, and I, I remember as if it were 10 minutes ago, her repeatedly saying, no, 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 my baby's not dead. My baby's not dead. And it was so pitiful to observe this and know that there's nothing you can say, nothing you can do that will be a consolation to this broken-hearted mom. As I remained there near her and the family, I learned the story. Her baby was not exactly someone that you and I would think of as a baby. Her baby was, he was about a 17-year-old young man. And earlier in that day, he had got into an argument with his best friend, I gathered from the conversation, over a baseball cap. And the friend got angry with the one who was now deceased, went and got a gun, shot and killed him, ultimately, over a baseball cap. What a high price to pay for a cap. Why? Why must we fight? Why must we argue? Why must we disagree? At least in ways that are so disagreeable. Uh, it is ironic, isn't it? When we think about Jesus, he's described as Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9-6. His father is described as God, not of confusion, but of peace, 1 Corinthians 14, 33 and following. And then we know from Ephesians 6, 14 and following that the gospel that we obey is not a gospel of war, but rather a gospel of peace. And so we've got, we got the Bible being all about peace and Christianity is all about peace. That, that our Father, God, would choose to send Jesus to planet Earth to really a, a battlefield. That's what Earth is, in a sense, a battlefield. That, that he would send this messenger of peace on, on a mission of peace. Jesus came so that you and I could have peace with God and in a sense so that you and I could have peace with each other so that even we could have peace with ourselves. And, and peace is such a, a, a difficult philosophy to, for, for many to grasp. Many nations, as you know, choose to settle their differences with, with bombs and bullets over calm conversation. People that have studied this understand that, or they would report to us, that at any given time in battlefield earth, there are 45 different significant wars happening. 
in the last 3,400 years of life on battlefield earth. It's been estimated that we have been free of war just 268 years. It's really impossible to calculate how many people have literally lost their lives because of, of fighting wars. I'm not talking about individual wars over a cap or other such silly things, but anywhere from 150 million to 1 billion people have lost their lives because of fighting, because of conflict. So many battles, so many tears, so little sense, so little peace. And so, again, let's not miss the significance then of Jesus coming to this place of conflict as an ambassador of, of peace, an ambassador of love, saying to us, get along with each other. Get along with God. End the hostilities. Think about Bethlehem for just a moment. The place where Jesus was born. That's, that's also the place where David, it's got such a, a, an impressive history to it. It's a place where David was born. It's a place where David was crowned king. It's a place where Ruth found and fell in love with and married her Boaz. It's a special place where Rachel was very lovingly buried. It's a place where the Magi discovered the master. And yet, it's got all that specialness, and it is one of the most bloodiest of, of killing fields in the world. And, and again, it is the town that gave birth to the one who said, as Sawyer very well read earlier, blessed or blessed are the peace Makers, and, and yet is, that town has been home for centuries to a secession of those who are peace breakers. Here's a list of Samaritans, Romans, Persians, Muslims, Egyptians, Syrians, Turks, Catholic Crusaders, and Jews. You know what they all have in common? They've taken turns at crushing and capturing the birthplace of Jesus Christ. Again, the Prince of Peace. And even now, right, the Jews, the Palestinians are crippling and killing each other in and around Bethlehem, the battlefield, the place where Jesus was born. And it's not just obviously uh, that area where we're having difficulty getting along. Just about any place can become a battlefield. Conflict can turn a bedroom or a playground, a dorm room, a ballpark, a wedding rehearsal, an office, even a church foyer into a battleground. Now, thankfully, most conflicts don't result in some kind of violence, but it is really difficult to have conflict that doesn't ultimately lead to some kind of damage, to some kind of, of sin being committed. Hurt feelings, resentments, yelling, name-calling, exaggerations, anger, gossip. Conflict causes casualties. The truth is often a casualty, conflict. Maturity, self-control, unity, love. Again, some of the more obvious casualties of conflict. 
Have you noticed that many people these days are professionals at getting into conflict and amateurs at getting out of it? So maybe you're thinking with me we need some help. We need some divine guidance at, at getting out of conflict, at being more effective at, at making peace. As you know, the worst kind of conflict is a church conflict. And our, our message of peace can't be matched up somehow with the practice of war. See, there's a world that's needing the gospel from, from we that are ambassadors of peace. And, and a, a church at war is, is going to be repugnant. It's going to be repellent to, to those in the world that are needing peace. And, and war-weary Christians will ultimately leave a church that has failed to master the grace of, of peacemaking over peace-breaking. So again, I ask the obvious question, isn't it the case that we need assistance? We need to be able to figure this out. It's, it's not enough to just say, y'all, let's just be at peace with each other. Amen and goodbye. We need to know how to do that. Thankfully, the Prince of Peace came with a peace plan, armed, can I say, with a peace plan. If you look in the Gospel of Matthew again, you see uh, uh, keys, a formula here for us having the kind of life that promotes unity. That, that promotes reconciliation, that helps us to be friends again with God, friends again with each other, friends even with ourselves. You agree with this? There's no place for bad blood among those who've been purchased by Jesus' blood. So think with me, please, about some of the things, some of the remedies that Jesus would apply to us in being the best of peacemakers. So while you're, I hear the pages rust, rustling out there, getting over to Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, I want to share with you something that happened years ago that I think is, is somewhat applicable to us. It happened, I guess, wow, about 200 years ago outside the, the city of, of Quebec, Canada up there in the province, near the province of Quebec. And there's a big bay area there. And, and the British, that there was going to be a big battle for the, the province, the city of, of Quebec. And, and so the British Navy comes in there with this very impressive armada ships and so on. And they're going to conquer the city. But their, their orders were to wait before you attack Quebec. Wait until reinforcements arrive. They wanted to be sure their, their, their commanders of having ultimate and devastating defeat over the enemy and, and gain victory. And so the folks on the ships were waiting and waiting and they grew so impatient. Just, There's the city. Let's, let's go get it. That's the enemy. We've we got the ammunition we need, the resources. We can take them. The captain said, no. Well, what can we do to kill time? And, and there at the beautiful city of Quebec, there were some cathedrals in the distance. 
And those on the ship could see the cathedrals. And on the tops of these cathedrals were, were remarkable statues of, of people that they would call saints. And, and so the, the, those sailors asked permission, can we shoot at the saints while we're waiting on reinforcements? Maybe you're already ahead of me knowing where this story goes. Captain said, sure. And, and so then for several days, the British Navy, they're shooting at the statues of those saints, and they ultimately obliterate them, right? And by the time the reinforcements arrive, you ahead of me here? The British Navy had run out of ammunition. They had wasted their ammunition on the saints, so they had nothing later to fire at the enemy. And that is, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. That's why today Quebec belongs to Canada. They're French speaking up there. And they're not speaking British English. Jesus does not want his people us shooting at the saints. Our ammunition, our firepower, again, is reserved at our enemy. Our enemy is not in these pews. Our enemy is the forces of evil. It is the, the one we described this morning, the words of Peter, the one who's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so Christ's peace plan, if, if fully followed and implemented, it, it, it keeps us from wasting precious resources on those who do us no harm. We, we harm ourselves when we're fighting with those who are not our actual enemies. Number one, let's be confident that as a peacemaker, our lives will be blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. What a great compliment, Matthew 5, 9, 9 says, for they shall be called the sons of God or the children of God. We're going to be blessed when we decide to stop attacking. And if that is true, then the converse or the negative of that is true. If we're blessed as we make peace, we are cursed and harmed as we make war. Number two, Christ would want us to control our emotions. I'm getting this from Matthew 5, 22. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Haven't all of us at one moment or two or 20 in our lives, haven't we said, haven't we thought, haven't we done things in, in the moment of heat, in the moment of anger that we would never say, we would never think, we would never do if we had just mastered the ability to remain calm? You remember Ephesians 4, 6, 4, 26, rather? Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. We all know that passage. You remember the next one? It talks about neither giving place to the devil. And there's got to be a connection between 26 and 27 because one of the ways the devil, and the original word for place there is foothold, one of the ways the devil can get a foothold in us is by mastering our emotions. If he angers us, he enslaves us. So we've got to be able to just calm down. Is this really something worth getting angry over? Is this really worth getting upset about? Is this really worth saying and doing things that will hurt others and hurt your own reputation, your influence? No, a thousand times no. Number three, avoid name-calling. 
Want to have peace? Want to have unity? Avoid name-calling. I'm getting this out of Matthew 5, 22 also. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. It's funny, really, to me that, that we understand that, and so we're real cautious. I'm not going to call anybody a fool. But in the original, that word for fool, and then you've got the word in that same passage, reka, R-A-C-A, you know, those are, those are words, and, and I'm, cover the ears if we've got any little children in here, because I don't want them to hear these words from me. But in the original, those are words that match up with our words like stupid or, or idiot. And so it's kind of funny that and I just saw a little girl look up at me. Mama, you've got to hold her ears. Um, it, it's kind of funny to me in a non-humorous way that we'll, we'll be so careful. Okay, I'm not going to call him or her a fool, but, but those other words that I just mentioned, I can do that. No, what Christ is saying here is, is don't be an insulting kind of person. No name-calling. That's not fair. That's not good. That's not the behavior of one who is pursuing peace. Number four, make peace quickly. I'm getting that out of Matthew 5, 25. Do you see this? Agree with your adversary quickly is the key phrase there. The longer we wait, the more it festers, the deeper the infection can become, the more it can spread to others, the more prone we'll be to recruit others to our team, to our battalion. Number five, be accurate with our words. I'm getting that out of Matthew 5, 37. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these, notice, is from the evil one. The fish I caught was this big. I mean, we're, we're prone to exaggerate, especially when we're aggravated. Hey, let's do this. If we're going to exaggerate, let's exaggerate someone's goodness, kindness. Let's exaggerate the virtues rather than the negatives. Number six, touched on this earlier with the Mahatma Gandhi quotation, resist the urge to retaliate. I'm getting this out of Matthew 5, 39 and 41. Whoever, this is Christ, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, which I think if you study the context of that, he's talking about insults again, more than actually a physical assault. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. As I mentioned this morning, and you know this, the, the cycle of, of retribution and attack and trying to hit somebody more than they hit you, it has a cycle to it. It, it, it escalates, and at some point, somebody's got to raise the white flag and say, enough of this. This is not God's will. This is not God's way. This is not helping us to be wiser. This is not helping us to be more like Jesus. And, and, and the Bible, and I know this is uncomfortable, the Bible expects that person to be me, that, that, that person to be you. See, when there's, when there's a, a feud brewing, somebody's got to go first and saying, enough of this, I'm sorry, forgive me. 
And, and, and you and I, we can't control the other side of the argument or the conflict, but we can, with the help of God, control our side. We can't control their attitude and their words and their behavior. We might can have some influence, but we certainly, with the help of God, we can control everything we say, everything we think, and everything we do. That person cannot possibly make me angry. That person cannot possibly make me say something, do something, think something that I don't want to say, I don't want to think, I don't want to do. We're not robots and, oh, they know what buttons to push. We're, we're giving consent whenever we go into places that we should not be going. With our thoughts, with our words, with our deeds. Resist, resist, resist the desire, the urge to retaliate. Number seven, let's stay out of the gutter. Let's stun our enemy with love if we got an enemy. Let's be the best person that that enemy is going to ever know. Let's be the brightest light that person's ever going to see. Let's be shockingly good. I'm getting that from a challenging passage. This is Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who bless you out. Do good to those who hate you. Is there a more challenging section of Scripture in our Bible? I haven't found it yet. Is it doable? Yes, it is. If it weren't doable, Christ would not have told us to do this. This is obviously for the mature Christian. For the one who's, who's left kind of the, 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 the spiritual wading pool, the, the children's end of the pool. We, we've moved down to the deep end. We've left behind the floaties. And we're, we're down where, where we need special divine assistance from God to, to understand that I need to do this because God has directed me to do this. And if God is directing me to do this through his son Jesus, he's not going to withhold from me the ability to get it done. And maybe the best way we'll ever be like Christ, the best way we'll ever truly honor Jesus is to do toward those who would hurt us now, if we have those out there, that Jesus did toward those who were seeking to hurt him and who did hurt him at Calvary. What was his cry from the cross? It wasn't, why are you doing this to me? It wasn't, angels, attack! It was, Father, forgive them. And even made, in a sense, an excuse for their ungodly behavior, for they know not what they do. Well, why can't we have that attitude towards those who would seek to harm us? They don't understand. They just don't really know what they're doing to me. They don't know what they're doing to the heart of God. Because if they knew, they wouldn't do it. And let's pray for them as Jesus prays for us. Not God, strike them dead. Make them pay. Forgive them. Help me to forgive them. Oh, you've heard this quote from me a, a, a jillion times, but it is the case that holding a grudge, these resentments, it, it is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The best gift I can give myself if I've got animosities, grudges, conflicts with others, is to let go, let God, and, and just do my part at trying to be at peace. 
Number eight, talk to God. Let's talk to God about the person with whom, or the persons, we desire peace. I'm getting this from Matthew 5, 44. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I just got to tell somebody how they're treating me. Tell God. Listen, there may be exceptions to this, but it is generally the case. If you tell one person you've told the world, and if one person comes to you and says, I just got to talk to somebody about this, can't talk, you may be the fifth or sixth person they've already said, I've just got to talk to somebody about this. Now, I'm not trying to be cynical, I'm just being real. There's a reason why when we are disappointed with somebody, the Bible directs us to speak about that person. We can talk about them to the Father, the one who actually can fix the problem, the one who won't choose sides, the one who won't hold a grudge, the one, hold, the one who won't make up their mind in a negative way towards the person that you're having some complaint with. Pray for them. Pray about them. Maybe even if we can get in the same room together, we can pray with these folks. Number nine, be eager to forgive. Be eager to forgive. Man, I'm getting that from Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Those of you who participate in POP, you're not sure we're going to be able to have people prayer at 9 o'clock tonight, but you, you remember if you listen to, to me as I pray, uh, I usually try to say in every one of those prayers, when we come to the part of the prayer we're talking about, we need God to forgive us. I ask God, forgive us as we repent of our sins and as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And it kind of reminds us we want God to forgive us, then we need to forgive others. That's the, the bridge that we've all got to cross together. Number 10, become what we hope others will become. Go first. Blaze that trail. What's uh, Matthew 7, 5 say, says, remember, first remove the plank from your own eye. You know, be, be a pattern of what we want others to be. Have a faith that really is worth imitating by those especially that, that we would be having maybe some kind of conflict with in the future. And then finally and number 11, as we mentioned and we thought about in this, this morning's sermon, we got to practice the, the basics of, of Matthew 7, 12, that golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have others do unto you, for this is the law and the prophets. I mean, this kind of sums up all that, that God expects of us, all of, all of Christianity. Just, just speaking to people and about people the way we would want people to speak to us and about us. By the way, how, how's your homework going? Remember our assignment, we're not going to be saying bad things about anybody, true or untrue, for 24 hours. And we got about, what, 18 more hours or so to go. And then I know after 18 hours is up, we're going to have enjoyed this time of ceasefire that we'll want to keep this going. Right? But let's, let's not just practice the, the golden rule, as it's called, in, in connection with our speech, but in everything. Let, let, let's, let's be as kind to people. Let, let's treat people. Let's respect people the same way that we would desire to be respected of others. One 
I said finally and all that, but you know me well enough to know there might be one other thing I want to throw in. I want you to just sometime reference, and we think about making peace and Christ's will for us. Look at Matthew 18, 15 sometime. Guys in the back, y'all put Matthew 18, 15 up. It's a, it, it may be, I mentioned earlier about the command to love your enemies and, and bless those who hurt you, as that's one of the more difficult. I would say that, that this Matthew 18, 15 is one of the most uh, disobeyed of all commands of Christ by godly people. You, you think about how many times someone has come to you that has had a concern, an objection about your behavior, a problem with something you've said or done. It's pretty rare, isn't it? I mean, Jesus' teaching is pretty clear there. If your brother sins against you, go and tell, you notice that, go and tell him, not them, him. I, I, y'all would not be surprised didn't do all that great in, in math in school, didn't do all that great in English but I know the word him is not the same as the word them and we're, we're to go to that person not to those people and, and, to, and to share with others that we have a problem with him or we have a problem with her we're to go, we got a problem with an individual we're directed by Christ to go to that specific individual and you see that word between you and him alone again, it's like the Holy Spirit just wanting us to understand, if we don't understand the word him, then surely we'll get the word alone I mean, we're not to be involving other people in this dispute. And notice the purpose of this. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. So what are we permitted to do when we have a dispute? We're permitted to go to that person with a great attitude, with a goal of restoration, and we're to go to that person only. That's it. That's, I mean, that is so simple to do. And yet, how rarely is it done? What are we not allowed to do? We're not allowed to go to others and, and tell them what happened. And sometimes we couch it as a prayer request. I'm having a conflict with so-and-so, and I need you to pray for me and my attitude. I mean, that sounds noble, but it's not what Jesus said to do. Let's do what Jesus says to do. We're not allowed to involve others. We're not allowed to broadcast the problem. We're not even allowed to go with a bad attitude. Okay? Is it difficult to do? Yes. Is it doable? Absolutely. What Paul say? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's one example where we really need to embrace that truth. We can do what we need to do as it relates to being peacemakers over peacebreakers. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for giving us a Prince of Peace who came to battlefield earth to this place where it seems like so many folks love to quarrel and have conflict. I'm so thankful that I get to preach for a congregation as far as I know is absent war, absent battling people, absent those uh, addicted to conflict. We pray God that that will always be the case that we'll be able to settle any differences that come our way in a way that would honor you, that would glorify glorify you, that would uh, please you, that would keep us from doing any damage to the reputation of the church, that would keep us from doing any damage to eternal souls, help the world when they see us to see people who are peace seekers, understanding that our God is a God of peace, our Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the gospel is a gospel of peace, and our practice is peace, perfect peace. 
If we've been warring people, forgive us as we repent of that, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. If we need prayers tonight, help us to pursue those. If we need to put on Jesus in baptism, in obedience to Acts 2.38, for the forgiveness of every sin, help us to do that tonight as well. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. In Christ we pray. Amen. If we can help you in any way, would you come, please, while we stand and sing? Yeah.